to episode 25 of Popper's Cage. My name is Jason Moore. You may know me as Dime Collector or Bamboo Rush on MTGO, and I will be one of your hosts. Our other host is the Steel Overseer himself, Special Kyle. How's it going, man? It's going great. How are you doing today, Jason? I'm doing good. I feel revitalized. You know, we got this new podcast, well, new old podcast, and I feel very refreshed. You could say I feel a bit remastered, if you will. That's a great segue in today's episode. Exactly. Today we are going to be talking about Tempest Remastered. Like this show, it is a new version of an older thing that hopefully many people like. This is... Along the same vein of something like Modern Masters or Vintage Masters, and it's coming to Magic Online on May 6th. So we wanted to preview this set because the big thing is that this set has got some rarity-shifted cards. So there's going to be some cards that for the first time ever are going to be popper legal. They originally were uncommons, now they're commons. We saw that this happened before with Vintage Masters in particular, we got some cards like Battle Screech and Chainer's Edict, and those both have seen some tournament play. So today we want to discuss some of the cards from Tempest Remastered and decide how we feel about them. Do we think these are going to be some strong additions to Popper? Which ones are going to fall flat? Which ones are going to thrive, if any? Okay, you know what? I actually remembered one other piece of information I do want to give the listeners before we start, though. We are officially back on mtgcast.com, so we're getting our episodes hosted there. This is great news because it's a great uh, podcasting community to be a part of, and if you're listening to this, you probably already know that because that's most likely how you're even hearing this show, but just so you know, you can find us on mtgcast.com in addition to our Popper's Cage blog our Facebook page, and Twitter. And I want to give a big thank you to all the people on Twitter for retweeting our tweets and supporting us and promoting the show. So big thank you to you guys. Uh, We're definitely doing this for you. It's really going to be great to hear what you guys have to say about the cards as well. So now, without any further ado, I think we can jump into the Tempest Remastered newly minted popper cards the ones i guess we can start with are the new slivers so slivers is a tribe that has seen play in popper on and off and it's somewhere around a tier two or tier three strategy at best i would say but perhaps some of these new sliver cards can get us a little bit of an upgrade The one I'm most interested in is called Horned Sliver, and this is a green sliver. I think green and white are the two best sliver colors. Those are the ones that we actually see people playing in decks, and Horned Sliver is a bit of a gray ogre. He's a two-colorless in green, 2-2 creature, and he gives all sliver creatures trample. Special Kyle, what do you think of our horny friend, Horned Sliver? Right off the bat, I'd like to talk about, you already mentioned that you think green and white are the best colors for slivers. And for anyone who's not familiar familiar with the deck, that's because the two big slivers that you're looking to draw are Muscle Sliver and Sinew Sliver. They're One's essentially a color-shifted version of the other. It's a 1-1 for either one green or one white, that is being the Muscle and the Sinew Slivers. They give all slivers plus one, plus one. So they themselves are just two twos that benefit from their other sliver lords and pump up all, all your other slivers. So that right off the bat, that's why you're looking to be playing green and white. And this sliver in particular, again, it gives all your slivers trample, which that's always been a big problem in the with the sliver deck, is if you're playing against another creature-based deck, they can just block your three, three, four, four, five, five slivers with a one, or one or two, two, and then swing back at you and hope that race you that way. This sliver, it, it does cost three, which we'll be talking about the drawbacks here in a little bit. 
but it gets it gets around where they can just chump block. Those big slivers now, if they're not blocking with the larger creature, you're going to be dealing them that necessary damage to put the game away. With Horn Sliver, I think we are seeing a card that should be at, experimented with, at the very least, for people interested in Slivers, just to see how it plays with the deck. I've messed around with Slivers before, and cards like Rancor are certainly welcome additions for reasons that you've mentioned. Um, and I also have kind of looked at this card while writing a recent article for Blackborder.com, which will be out by the time that this podcast is out. I did a little bit of thinking uh, with this card, and I'm feeling that, in a way, it is a bit of a win-more card. We mentioned that uh, in our previous episode, the concept of this. And the reason I'm thinking this is because if we were to look at Trample and kind of juxtapose it with the what I would call like the average creature size in Popper... Maybe I would say the average creature size is probably like uh, a two-toughness creature. Um, you know, we see a flip Delver of Secrets and various creatures in Mono Black Control, various creatures in the creature decks, Stompy and Goblins and whatnot. So if we want to be able to trample over that two-toughness body, we're probably already going to need one or two Lords, if not more, to pump most of our slivers, because most of the slivers are like one power on their own. Obviously, the whole point of the deck is that they get really strong by bolstering each other, right? They pump each other up in various different ways. So I'm thinking that in a board where Horn Sliver really thrives, it is kind of like what you said. We're going to have our three threes and four fours and five fives. So, I mean, I feel like if we have that many lords on the table, that's basically the deck's, like, ideal situation. Best case scenario. So, I'm not sure that Horn Sliver is going to add that much to the deck. However, with all that being said, as I mentioned previously, I do think this is a creature to, at the very least, experiment with and see if it fits the rest of the game plan. This is going to be a curved topper I would say, in the Slivers deck. You already mentioned the three converted mana costs. Definitely got some mixed feelings about this guy. I, I'm also on the fence. The one other thing to consider, though, is in addition to the eight wards, there's also the white 1-1 one, one flanking Sliver, which essentially makes their two twos and their two toughness guys into one toughness guys in combat. So it does shrink their team a little bit. They could you essentially wards 9 through 12 if they're choosing to block. Yeah. You don't just need lords to make this guy good. The question really is, how good is he going to be ultimately? I'm leaning towards not good enough to bump slivers up in terms of competitive viability. But I think slivers is already in a, a decent spot if you want to mess with the deck. So by all means, try it out. Try this card out and see what you can do with it. I'm ready to move on, maybe talk about some of the other slivers as well. Yes, absolutely. Let's dive right in. Okay. Well, I can do this pretty quickly because I'm not excited about any of the other slivers. Uh, Barbed Sliver is in red, and it has this recurring theme of a lot of the slivers from this Tempest set in, in that they each have a an activated ability for two colorless mana. Barbed Sliver is another Gray Ogre, so it's two colorless and red for a creature Sliver, 2-2, and all Slivers have this activated ability, two colorless. This creature gets plus one, plus O until end of turn. So this is a pseudo fire breathing. It's a colorless fire breathing for an extra mana. Gives you a bit of a mana sink if you're playing red in your deck. And you can pump your unblocked guy. So that's actually pretty cool. It's just I'm not really seeing a Slivers deck wanting to invest this much mana for this effect. I'm also not sold on this one in the slightest. You're potentially extending yourself into a third color for a Sliver that doesn't do anything the turn you're playing it normally, which is turn three or four. 
And then even once it's on, on the board, it's going to get you a couple extra points of damage in the, in the best case scenario. So I, I don't see this one adding much to the deck or to the average player's game plan. Yeah, and I would certainly say it is by no means worth adding red to your deck if you're specifically wanting to play that card. I would advise people not to do that. Please don't. Even as a green-white deck, I think the deck can struggle uh, with its color requirements from time to time. In terms of Armor Sliver, we have a similar guy. This guy's actually in white, so we're already on track there. Uh, He's got the same stats, so he's two colorless and white for a creature sliver, a 2-2 creature. And all slivers have the activated ability two colorless. This creature gets plus 0, plus 1 until end of turn. So this guy is basically the inverse of Barb Sliver. He's going to make your guys have uh, some bigger butts on them, kind of like Plated Sliver naturally gives you. And I would just echo the same sentiments. If you are not going to use the aggressive Barb Sliver, I by no means want to use this reactive guy to somehow keep my creatures alive. It just feels like it's not completely uh, synergistic with the deck strategy of pushing damage through with our creatures. Yes, I realize that you can't always be on the offensive, but if part of your game plan is having a little bit that lets you sit back need to, you might want to reconsider the angle you're taking in the match. So I'm, I think we can safely put this one behind us and hopefully never see it, see it in a deck. It's such a harsh truth, man. The fact that you can not always be on the offensive. Oh, I wish that were the case, but sadly it is not. There should be a gentleman's agreement where where neither player can block and you just attack back and forth until the game's over. I would play that sort of game. Speaking of being offensive versus being defensive, let's move on to an adorable little creature that is marching his way to the popper format for the very first time, Bottle Gnomes. And Bottle Gnomes is an artifact creature for three colorless. Again, we're talking about that converted mana cost of three. It's a little bit controversial, I would say. So he's three colorless for a 1-3 artifact creature gnome. No surprise there. And he has an activated ability. Sacrifice Bottle Gnomes, you gain three life. So, I mean, we've got a creature with similar stats to Seagate Oracle, which is a card that sees play in Familiars, as well as controlling versions of blue decks, blue-red, blue-black, what have you. So those stats are not horrible, and we have an activated ability of basically giving yourself like a healing salve, I would say. The reason I wanted to talk about this card is that it's colorless. It's an artifact creature, so it's offering life gain on a body to any color in the format. And I think that could be somewhat relevant. When you look at colors like red or blue, they don't have anything in the way of readily available life gain. And even black, I mean, it does have things like tendrils of corruption and those type of effects. But if you're not playing a whole host of swamps, let's say maybe you're playing uh, a black X deck, you might want something like bottle gnomes or an effect similar to bottle gnomes, I guess I could say, that's not going to strain your other color requirements. Now, three mana for three life on a 1-3, to me, even still, I don't know that that's a great deal but what we see in like i said in colors that can't afford this kind of effect sometimes you will go out of your way to pay a higher cost to get something that another color normally gets for a lower cost so for instance uh, this is a random example but a card like harmonize which is a green uncommon not not legal and popper but it, it lets green draw three cards so it's intrinsically more valuable than uh, a blue spell that would have the same mana cost that also draws three cards. I think there is one, like I think it's called Concentrate or something. And that card is not, uh, even monetarily not as valuable as Harmonize because blue draws cards all the time. So what's the big deal? For green to be able to do it so easily makes it a big deal. 
So I probably talked way too much about bottle gnomes and why I think it's kind of interesting. I do want to also point out that it's already going to be competing with a card like Silvok Lifestaff, which we see already in red decks. And then you know, once upon a time, the Demir Trinket Mage style control deck would tutor up a Silvok Lifestaff and use it on creatures like Fume Spitter to readily gain three life uh, over and over. So it's competing with that card, and then there is another life gain spell, a colorless one. It's not a spell, actually. It's a land, Radiant Fountain, which was recently printed, I think, in a core set. And that's just a colorless land, comes into play untapped, gains you two life. So you can maybe bounce that around with other spells in your red or blue decks to gain life also. So there's a lot of things to consider here with Bottle Gnomes, and I'm hoping that Special Kyle, you will be able to help us make some sense of this. So I think you've already done a great job, and much more eloquently than I could have put it, discussing some of, some of the potential uses for Bottle Gnomes. I would like to mention that this, this card saw a, a relatively decent amount of play way before my time, late 90s, it was seen play on the Pro Tour, mainly in blue-black controlish decks. And, of course, we've had a, had a lot of power creep, a lot of sets since then. But the same uses I could potentially have today, it was seeing and constructed way back in the day. When I think of a card like this, one of the optimal ways in which, in which I see it being used, I, I don't always like to think of best-case scenarios because, of course, they don't come up nearly as often as you'd like. But I could see this being played by by any number of decks, but against a deck like Mono Red, where they play Kelden Marauders, and then you could play this card, block, and then stack it for three life. Essentially, a, a six point life swing for three for three mana and a card. And there's a lot of decks that could use an effect like that because you have decks such as Mono Blue, where yes, if you're hitting three mana, you you can probably be casting some more offensive creatures like. Spire Golem or such, but even then there's cases where they have a, the card that destroys an artifact and deals you, th and deals the, its controller three damage that so you might want to be stacking that artifact in a defensive matchup. The, this card do does have some uses. I think they'd be primarily defensive, trying to build a deck looking to go into later turns of mine. But this deck, th this card can do it. And you, you mentioned a similar card, Select Life Staff which I think is probably the better card in any deck playing a lot of creatures. But in a deck that where, the, where this is going to be one of the only creatures you're looking to play on the early turns, Silvacle Life staff, staff isn't going to do much, but this card can do a lot and buy you a turn, if not two, against some of the faster decks out there. So I just did a quick Google search, actually, and this took Ben Rubin to the finals of Pro Tour Los Angeles 1998 in a deck called Dancing Gnome. So a little bit of magic through there. Wow, that is quite an interesting deck name as well. All right, so let's go ahead and check another card that has been getting a bit of buzz online. And I think this is probably the highest anticipated card. Though... Even saying that, I don't think it's a great card for the format, and I don't really think it's going to shake up all that much. But it is a blue spell. It does draw cards, and it's an instant. So it's already very, very deadly by its very nature. This is a card called Whispers of the Muse. And one of the things that's great about the Tempest expansion, or the Tempest block, I guess is that it introduced, I think it introduced, the buyback mechanic. And this has been very important for Popper because it's, to me, one of the best late-game mechanics in the format. We've seen things in the past, like Capsize, be so powerful for the respective decks that used it, like Cloud Post. Just a repeatable effect that, for the cost of some extra mana, gives you late game inevitability you're basically going infinite you're getting to do something every turn much like a planeswalker would let you do just giving you so much value and letting you do multiple things in a turn when your other opponents in the late game are top decking just casting one spell if that maybe even just flooding out and not being able to do anything about it so that long-winded intro brings us to our card whispers of the muse 
This is an instant for the cost of blue. So one converted mana cost. Draw a card. Nothing too exciting yet, but it does have buyback. Unfortunately, the buyback on this card is pretty high. It's five colorless mana. I should let you guys know exactly what buyback does in case you don't know already. You may pay an additional X. In this case, it's five colorless as you cast this spell. If you do, put this card into your hand as it resolves. So like I said, you can play this as many times as you want as long as you cast the buyback cost. So we're looking at a card that can draw you a card just for blue. When you're in a pinch, you can just use this to cycle for blue. Or you can spend six mana each turn to draw a card at instant speed. Let's say you're holding up mana on the opponent's turn in a given deck, and you can just cycle. So this card is reminiscent of something like Una's Grace. Una's Grace is an instant for two colorless and blue that also draws a card. Its target player draws a card, so occasionally you might want to let make your opponent draw a card if you're going to deck them or something. And that one has retrace. So it goes to your graveyard, and then you can recast it by paying its mana cost as well as discarding a land from your hand. So Una's Grace can draw you extra cards at half the price of Whispers of the Muse, though you do need to have a land in hand to do that. I think that Una's Grace is a heavy, heavy competitor of a card like Whispers of the Muse because I just think it has um, a bit more going for it. I personally don't really see Whispers of the Muse doing much in this format at all. However, if there is something like a blue Tron deck, I could see it there, and maybe there are other applications for it. Kyle, did you find any particular applications for this card? So I don't think there's many. This card is, it is a good card. It is, I don't think by any stretch, a bad card. It was in relatively recent memory in Time Spiral, spiral Block, I believe. It was a time-shifted card. It did see some play in Standard while it was there. In Popper, I don't see it having as similar of a hope. In most decks, as you would point out, if I'm playing Familiars, I'd, I'd want something like Flicker. If I'm playing Tron, honestly, I'd want, if I want a repeatable effect for six mana, it would probably be something more along the lines of Capsize or something, something of that, that sort getting a little more immediate forward effect. Possibly something like blue-black, where you have a lot of edicts and there is hopefully just very, very little pressure on you, no matter what stage of the game you're in. That, that that deck might be able to go long enough that you could eventually start drawing card after card and edge out your opponent. But I'm very skeptical that that, that would work out that well. I would love for someone to prove me wrong, though. I think this is a fun card. I think it's a skill-intensive card, whether or not you're going to play it on turn one just to cycle it, or if you're going to try saving it in that initial seven-card hand, building up for the late game. I think that someone can have a lot of fun with this card, and I hope it gets there. I just don't think it will. Well, there is another card I want to bring up just as a maybe an intellectual exercise, if you will. We did this, I believe, last time with a card, Aven Tactician, just to look at a card that I don't really think is that good, but to kind of break down why perhaps it's not that good and really put it in the context of the popper format to really weigh and balance the pros and cons and some of the, I guess we could say, some of the tenets of the format. You have to judge a card by these tenets. So this card is called Staunch Defenders. It's a white human soldier. It's a creature for three colorless, white, white. So it's converted mana cost of five. Power and toughness is three, four. When it enters the battlefield, you gain four life. All right, Siege Rhino is here in Popper. We got stats that are bigger than small. And we have life gain right when we enter the battlefield. But I think this card is just not Popper playable I think I heard someone mention on one of the online discussions somewhere that 3-4 is a reasonable body in Popper. I actually am going to have to disagree 
at least when we're talking about five mana for a creature. This card dies to Flame Slash with all the other creatures out there, and I really don't want to tap out five mana on my turn and have this guy die to a one or two mana removal spell. I don't see this doing anything, and that's already on top of the fact that there is no pre-existing deck where I see this uh, slotting into. So there's my rant on staunch defenders. Um, what do you have to say about these staunchy defenders? I will not defend this card in the least. You, you mentioned that it doesn't have have a deck, and so I am sure there will be someone out there who will immediately say mono white because it has white in its mana cost. But remember that pretty much any deck, such as mono white, looking to cast creatures. Creatures and Popper are cheap. You're looking to spend one, two, three mana, three mana if it's a real good one in general. And you don't want to be drawing too many more lands than that. So when you're building your deck to hit three, maybe four lands, and you have this five-guessing cost creature, it's not gonna, going to flow like you're, like you're hoping it will. I would like to compare this to another card that does see play in Popper in a number of decks, and that's Lone Missionary. Lone Missionary is a 2-1 for 1 and a white that when it comes into play, you gain 4 life. When power is normally the more important factor of a card, you're, you're dropping 1 power for 3 mana, one of which is a colored mana. So a very similar card for less than half the price, the exact same, same effect. And then when you're bouncing it with cards like even Skyfisher and getting replayed on the same turn, this this just doesn't stand, measure up in, a, in any way to creatures that you want to be playing. So I'm glad you brought up Lone Missionary. That's a great comparison. If you want to gain life, you guys, and you're playing white, you can do it for cheap. That's what white is here for. All right. Well, I actually feel like that's about all I have to say about uh, you know bringing up cards for Tempest Remastered. Just to wrap up... This uh, review of the cards in the set, I think that the the sliver we mentioned, Horned Sliver, the Bottle Gnomes, and the Whispers of the Muse, I think they all sit around the same uh, rating, I guess I will say, in terms of, I think they're right at the cusp of being playable, but they're all... either right there or slightly below for me, to the point that I don't think any of them are going to really make any new deck viable or make any pre-existing deck noticeably more viable so i'm not really huge on this set in terms of changing the landscape of popper i think that it's a cool idea to bring this set back because this set did really bring a lot of things to the table there was a lot of tribal synergies we already mentioned buyback um there's so many other things we could talk about but it's really not the uh the place for it that's kind of where I'm resting. I think those are the three most interesting cards, and they're all about equally interesting to me, which is to say that they're moderately interesting, but I'm not very excited. What do you think, Kyle? I, I agree. I think Horn Sliver, in general, with Sliver, not, Sliver's not being a Tier 1 deck. As you said, tier, tier 3, Tier 2 maybe. Horn Sliver is a comparable card in terms of power that... If you're if you're looking to change up a little bit, experiment with some new cards, you aren't going to going to go astray by throwing this in and seeing how it, how it affects your games. I think you might lose a few games with having it in there. You might win win a few extra games. Give give it a shot. One thing that, I, that I'm thinking about just now, it's interesting that in my mind at least, Whispers of the Muse and Bottle of Gnomes would each go into a similar sort of deck. And that's the deck looking to make the long game. So I would love for someone out there to throw both those cards into a control shell. Maybe let us know how the games go on Twitter. Give us a shout-out. Let let us know how far off base we are. Again, I'd love to hear that wrong. Whispers and Muse is going to be a great card in the deck. So let let us know how it goes. All right, guys. That is going to wrap up our main topic today, Tempest Remastered. What we're going to do from here is take a quick break, and we are going to come back with a daily event Deck Spotlight, and of course, a new installment of Sneak, Keep, or Ditch. So for right now, we're just going to take a short break, and we'll see you for the second half here, episode 25 of Popper's Cage. See you in a bit. 
Welcome everyone back to the second half of Popper's Cage, episode number 25. We're going to move on to our daily event deck list spotlight. And today's deck is by a player called N Pastels. This is going to be a green-white or Selesnia tokens deck. This is a deck that I got from a daily event on April 15th, so that's five days ago. We're recording this on April 20th. And this is an archetype that has seen some play in Popper before. It's the green-white tokens list. And this one's actually pretty cool. I'm a big fan of the sideboard and some of the things this deck is doing. So if you're not familiar with the green-white tokens deck, for the most part, I would consider it an attrition deck. This is going to play a long game. It wants to grind out the other creature decks by creating this ridiculous board position. It's uh, It's got several different components to help it do that, but it wants to build its resources. So it's going to build its creature count, it's going to build its life total, and it's going to make it pretty much impossible for the, uh, the other creature decks to fight it on that axis in terms of getting in the red zone and all that good stuff. There is a deck list in the show notes, guys. Click on the link so you know what we're talking about. You can follow along. There's different components to this deck. Obviously, there's going to be this token generation component. We see that in the four copies of Colony Garden. So it has a land that creates a uh, 0-1 green token. And that can eventually start doing some cool things. Also, the Selesnia Evangel. This is a 1-2 Elf Shaman for green-white has an activated ability colorless tap and tap and untap creature you control to make one one green sapperlings it's got scatter the seeds and sprout swarm is a big one with the convoke mechanic and buyback that's right the mechanic we were talking about from tempest this is another one of the cards that you see create these insane late games sprout swarm is going to create a one one token every turn and it's going to be able to do it more and more, so eventually it's going to do it multiple times a turn. You're just amassing this huge army. The other components, there's a life gain component to this deck. Uh, Soul Warden and Essence Warden do that duty. So anytime a creature enters the battlefield on either side, this deck's going to gain life. We also have some pump effects. This is also to not only to help the deck not die to Electricery and other sweepers, so you have Spider Silk Armor, you have Pallid Mycoderm, which is an interesting creature. It not only makes tokens, but it can eventually pump them up, giving them plus one, plus one. And then it has a pretty tricky card, Remotion Rally, which can be cast for free if you have a planes and you can tap a white creature. and But it gives all your creatures plus one, plus one, not just white creatures. If that wasn't already enough, this deck has a way to beat anybody, including the unfair decks, by assembling a two-card infinite combo. This is Midnight Guard and Presence of Gond. It can also protect this combo by using Benevolent Bodyguard, to sacrifice and make sure that the Midnight Guard does not die to a removal spell. So Kyle, why don't you tell people about this Midnight Guard Presence of Gond combo? It reminds me of Splinter Twin, which is a modern combo, but uh, I think people should know exactly what this does. Yeah, so the first co- the first part of the combo, the creature, Midnight Guard, it's two and a white for a two-three. It has the ability that whenever another creature enters the battlefield, you untap Midnight Guard. So right off the bat, this actually isn't a bad creature. It's about an average size for three mana, two, three, that can attack and then post-combat, if you play a creature, it, it can untap, or with things like Sprout Swarm and Scattered Seeds, it can actually untap at instant speed to act as a blocker. So it's not a bad creature in its own right, but then you pair it with the, the other card in the combo, Presence of God. Presence of God is a 2-3 enchantment aura that has enchanted creature as tap, put a 1-1 green elf creature token onto the battlefield. So the way this combo works, it's real simple. You have a 2-3 midnight guard that you've had for a turn that so does have summoning sickness. You play Presence of God on it. You tap it to put a 1-1 into play, and when that, when that ability, ability resolves, the 1-1 coming into play triggers the midnight guard to untap. Then you can repeat tapping to put a 1-1 elf creature into play, do that a few thousand times, pass the turn, and eventually when it's your turn again, you get to attack with plenty of creatures. 
So one half combo is a, an okay creature in the deck already. The other half is a not a great creature enchantment, but it, it, again, when two cards together can just win you the game outright, having one of the cards be weaker, it, it's not a huge downside. What I also really like is the sideboard. I think the sideboard's got a nice spread of different effects. Prismatic Strands is a card that I think is quite good when we're talking about uh, popular decks like Nivix Cyclops and Mono Green Stompy. I think Prismatic Strands is a great answer to those decks because it's going to fog multiple attack steps. Also, Standard Bearer can do some work against Mono Green Stompy and perhaps against uh, Nivix Cyclops as well. Obviously, it's going to eat up a Teamer Battle Rage. Scattershot Archer can be a huge card against Delver and other flying creature strategies. And then we have a lot of just um, random one-ofs and two-ofs. I mean, I, would, I don't want to say random, but Viridian Longbow can be exceptional in a deck like this with a lot of creatures. I think that might be a little overkill because the creature matchup should be quite good already. Um, but you also have things like Sen's Enlistment, which is going to help against mass removal. It's a card with retrace, so you're going to be able to use this from your graveyard and keep you from flooding out and just losing a long game against like a control deck. Also, Lumithread Field is just another way, you know, an extra copy of something that's going to boost the butts of your creatures so that you don't die to Electricery or Evancar's Justice um, or Nausea. And then, you know, some Artifact and Enchantment Hate. I think this list looks pretty cool. It looks uh, fairly well-tuned, and it, I think the the pilot or the creator had a set of decks in mind that they were looking, preparing to face and preparing to beat. So overall, I think it's a pretty cool deck. One card that I would like to point out, you already mentioned Viridian Longbow, that most of our listeners have probably seen in some form or another if they've played any amount of Popper. But in this deck, when you can equip it to a creature like Midnight Guard... Again, this becomes a pseudo two-card combo of sorts. You play a Scatter the Seeds, your Midnight Guard gets three triggers on the stack. This Viridian Longbow now can essentially lightning bolt a creature or your opponent end of turn. That Scatter the Seeds comes with three extra damage attached to it if, if you get to pair it up with a card like Midnight Guard. That is pretty gross. That reminds me of Quirion Ranger. We see uh, Viridian Longbow in Elves decks and sometimes in Mono Green Stompy. And Quirion Ranger and Viridian Longbow just make me want to cry. It's so gross. Yes, I can't. I can't imagine how satisfying it must feel when you end a game spread swarming for like ten tokens at an end of turn with a Viridian Longbow on a Midnight Guard. But when you have an alternate win condition like that, while it might be overkill, I'd play just just for the enjoyment factor. So let's go ahead and move on to our follow up which is going to be Sneep, Keep, or Ditch. This is our game, our intellectual exercise, our mental, our test of mental fortitude. We're going to look at some opening hands from this very deck, and we're going to ask each other, is the opening hand a Sneep? That means Snap Keep. Is this a hand you will always want to keep? Is it a Keep? Eh, pretty good, not amazing. Or is it a Ditch? Get this hand out of here. Give me six instead. All right. So we have an opening seven of Essence Warden, Basic Plains, Scatter the Seeds, Soul Warden, Selesnia Sanctuary, Pallid Mycoderm, and the Torchbearer himself, Midnight Guard. Once again, that's Essence Warden, Basic Plains, Scatter the Seeds, Soul Warden, Celestia Sanctuary, Pallid Microderm, and Midnight Guard. What do you think? I think this is a... It's a keep. It's probably a sneep as well. I like that we can play a guy on turn one. We're still open to making some plays on turn two if we draw a basic land. Uh, but most of our hand is going to be fairly serviceable off of these uh, this three mana. It's a little bit slow, but this is a slower deck that wants to go into the late game. We're hoping that Soul Warden, Essence Warden are gonna, is going to buy us some time, right, by gaining us some life. Um, 
Unfortunately, we can't guarantee that we're going to cast two of the spells, but I think we have a decent shot. And uh, the Midnight Guards makes a lot of these opening hands probably a bit awkward, depending on what you're facing. But we also have the potential of just killing on turn four because we could draw into Presence of Gond and gain a jillion life. So I'm going to say Sneep. I, I completely agree. I think it's on the border of a keep and a sneak. With this land only running 10 lands, that sorry, with this deck only playing 10 lands that come into play untapped, it's actually pretty unreasonable to think that you always want to be playing a 2-drop on turn 2 or have access to 2-mana on turn 2. Most times you're going to have, it, have at most one untapped land on turn 2. So having a turn one play and then you start playing more stuff on turn three, I think you're in pretty good shape. Very nice to hear. So why don't you dial up the next opening seven? Okay, I have here a forest, a midnight guard, a scatter the seeds, another token generator and sprout swarm, another scatter the seeds, an essence warden, and a plains. So we have a forest, a plains, two scattered seeds, a spread form, so plenty of token generators right off the bat, an essence warden, and a midnight guard. I'm going to say with a little hesitation that it is a keep. I was actually leaning towards Sneep, but on further review, which again, if you if you have to think about it, it's not it's not a Sneep, I'm gonna go with Keep. I have a turn one plane essence warden. I have a second land, which doesn't doesn't get us much. It does get us a Sprout Swarm if we really want it, which will put us basically four mana towards the Scatter of the Seeds. And we're one, one land away from getting a Midnight Guard and really going off with Sprout Swarm. So again, Midnight Guard, when you have a card like Sprout Swarm with Convoke, when you can tap that Midnight Guard every time uh, that you put in a creature and then untap so you can Convoke it again, I think that there is enough upside that if we if we hit a, hit a land, we're definitely good. We can also hit a few more cheap creatures or something. We'll get the scattered seeds online another another way. I'm gonna go with keep. So far, we we have a good track record with these opening sevens. Let's see if that continues as we look at this additional hand here. It's gonna be a Soul Warden, a Presence of Gond, a Basic Plains. An Essence Warden, a second Basic Planes, so we have two Basic Planes, a second Essence Warden, so we have two Essence Wardens, and a Midnight Guard. So the hand is two Planes, two Essence Wardens, a Soul Warden, and then we have both cards for our combo, which is Midnight Guard and Presence of Gaunt. This is a very interesting hand. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. This is one of those hands that I would, in the game, probably tank on for just a little bit, as I'm doing right now. The upside is incredibly high if we can draw a forest, but there's no guarantee. I'm actually going to have to look at the deck list and see how many sources of green we have in the deck. So we've got three Blossoming Sands. I'm just going to count it. Three, seven, eleven... 13, 16, I believe. Let's see, 5, 9, yeah. 13, 16. So we have 16 sources of green. We're on the play, so we don't have that extra draw step. I don't think the probability is that much on our side of drawing a green source. Obviously, we have a higher chance of drawing green than we have of drawing most of the cards in our deck. But, you know, 16 sources is actually pretty good. Man, it's really tempting on the play, we can only play this Soul Warden for sure. You're, and, you're about 55% to hit it within your first two draws. I'll give you that much. And if we miss our if we miss our first on our first draw, we still have a Plains, uh, but we not, we're not playing anything. There's also the chance we draw another playable spell, like another Soul Warden or a Benevolent Bodyguard. Oh. You know, back in the day, I would ditch this because I'm, I am I like to lean towards mulliganing. But, you know, lately, I've been a lot more, like, risky and chancy with opening hands. I'm going to narrowly, narrowly keep this, but I don't think it's a good keep, necessarily. I don't have the same fortitude that you do. I do think it's close. As we've discussed before, when we're, choosing, when we're deciding whether to keep or not, this is against an unknown opponent. 
even if we hit the force, most decks, if we're just going for the turn four play our presence of gun tar- targeting midnight midnight guard, there's a solid chance they're gonna kill him. I th- I think when you're trying to assemble this combo, the the hope is at least is that there's other stuff that your opponents are already worrying about or having used removal spells on. I'm gonna say say ditch it. There's just too much that can go wrong. We we cannot not hit a land. We cannot hit playable spells. And then even if we do hit that that land, if it's a green one, we could very easily lose that game. Still, this one is really on the fence. I would be curious to hear what other people have to say about it. I think that um, one thing that's really important. I did mention this way long ago when we talked about mulligans and sideboarding in Popper. That when you see a hand like this one of the things you should default to is just making a decision early on in your magic career or whatever you want to call it, whether or not these type of on-the-fence hands are ones that you're going to just keep or cast away because it's going to save you a lot of mental energy. And I believe I heard that from uh, a pro player, Matt Sperling, I think is the guy that that brought that up. Just resolve that you're going to be the type of person that mulligans these on-the-fence hands most of the time or keeps them when you have limited information about your opponent or uh, the matchup. I I think that's the the big takeaway here. And uh, decide for yourselves, guys, whether you would have kept that hand. Do you want to do one more, Kyle? Sure, I'll go for one last hand. Okay. So I have one drawn up here. I like it because we have to see a few new cards. We have a Terramorphic Expanse. Our second land is a Celestia Sanctuary. Then we have a Ramosian Rally, card we haven't seen yet, a Presence of God, a Spider Silk Armor, a Journey to Nowhere, and a Scatter the Seeds. So we have two landed, the Terramorphic Expanse, the Celestia Sanctuary, two enchantments in Journey to Nowhere and Spider Silk Armor. Sorry, three enchantments, also Presence of God. Then we have two instants, a Ramosian Rally and Scatter the Seeds. When I look at this hand, I think it's a draft deck gone wrong. <laughs> I, I can't think of a format that, where I'd want to keep it. There's a lot of fun, interesting cards in it, but I'd be ditching them trying to find a few more playables. What do you think? Wow. Um, <laughs> that's a very entertaining summary of the hand. I actually would keep this hand, though. Really? Yeah. Why? to me. Well... It is a slow hand, and I think we're starting to see a pattern here. Actually, two patterns I'm noticing is that uh, we have some of these slow starts due to the Selesnia Sanctuary, and we're also seeing where uh, hands where we have like a portion of the combo, but not the other portion, <laughs> um, which makes me wonder about the numbers of you know, the four Midnight Guard, and I think he's also playing four Presence of Gond. It, it does make these opening hands kind of weird. The thing, I guess, that glues it together, besides the fact that we can get either color of mana, is the journey to nowhere. But we're not going to really resolve that in most cases until, like, what is it, turn three or something. But I do think that... It's enough to maybe hold us afloat to make this a keep. But it's not, like you said, it, it's not the prettiest hand I've ever seen. Cool. So we had a, that's a, I think that was a very interesting installment of Sneak Keep or Ditch. ditch. <laughs> what is this segment called? Sneak Keep or Ditch. Uh, pretty controversial. We actually split on, on two of the hands, not, just, not even just one. There's some dissension in the ranks. By this time, next episode, we'll be... We'll, we'll no longer be friendly co-hosts, so there will be some drama building. Everyone can keep look forward to that. Yeah, guys, you're going to have to stay tuned for next episode to see if this conflict resolves or not. However, this is going to wrap up episode 25 here on Popper's Cage. I hope you guys have enjoyed our look at the Tempest Remastered set, as well as this green-white tokens deck from the Popper Daily Events. I want to thank everybody for listening, first of all. And I do want to mention that you can find us online. You can contact us. You can give us some feedback. And there's a number of ways to do that. 
If you want to contact the show or get more information, you can check us out at popperscage.blogspot.ca. We also have a relatively new Facebook page, and we would love for you guys to like it or post any type of comments on there. You can find that facebook.com slash popperscagepodcast. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, we're also on MTG Cast. You're probably listening to us <laughs> on that website right now. Uh, but a big thanks to them for hosting us. And there's a lot of other great shows you can check out covering a number of different formats. So definitely check out those and support the other podcasts as well. If you want to find out more about me or you want to contact me, you can find me on Twitter at DimeCollectorSC. And you can also check out some of my other popper content on blackborder.com. The column is called Common Ground. And on mtgoacademy.com, that column is called Dime a Dozen. Special Kyle, how can they contact you? You can reach me, of course, through the Popper's Cage Facebook page, as Jason has already told, told you about. You can also reach me on Twitter at cries, the number four help, cries for help. And this is the second episode since we've been back. Both of the episodes have been fairly set in stone. We've been discussing some new cards and new sets. But if there's anything you'd like to hear, feel free to reach out to us on one of the many social media sites that we, we just went over. We'd love to hear from you. Give us some feedback what we, what we can do better. We, we'd love to respond to your, your input. Well, that's it, guys. This has been Popper's Cage, episode number 25. This is Jason Moore, and I want to say thanks for listening. Thank you. No, 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 no